Welcome to the Bureau Briefing, a podcast by the Bureau of Digital, an organization devoted to giving digital professionals the support system they never had. Each episode, we're going to talk to a member of our community doing awesome, inspiring things. Now for your host, Carl Smith. Greetings to all my friends and those of you who are new to the Bureau Briefing. It is great to have you here. And I'm curious if you've ever taken the time to reflect back on what you've accomplished in your life, to figure out how you got to where you are, and to understand what opportunities are now lined up for you moving forward. If you think about it, we're always in the most knowledgeable position to decide what's next. And that's what today's conversation is all about. Now, before we go on with the show, I have to thank the people and the companies that make the Bureau Briefing possible. First, MailChimp. They are revolutionizing the way marketing is done online. And if you haven't looked at what's possible with the MailChimp platform lately, you really don't know. I mean, lately, as in last week, it changed and got better again. And also Vogzi. Vogzi is a professional services automation tool, which sounds really intimidating, but it's super simple. It will help you understand exactly what's going on in your company. And now let's get on with the show. You know, you don't always get to talk about simple and especially in today's world with all of the things we've got going on. So I want to welcome the author of Product Design for the Web, former VP of Design at Etsy, where he built and ran a team that actually won the National Design Award, the former head of design at Artsy, and currently the king of his own domain. It's Randy J. Hunt. How's it going, Randy? Uh, Going great. I like this king of his own domain sounds uh, really adventurous. <laughs> well, I, you know, that was the thing. We've, we've talked a little bit and uh, knowing that you're, you're kind of in between and maybe we'll even get into that, like where you head next. But I was just like so <laughs> envious of having that pause. So before we dive in, like what are you doing with this break? Oh gosh, that might be off. What a question! Uh, uh, I mean, I could give you, you know the 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 boring but satisfying list that looks like you know watching more movies with my wife. You oh know, yeah, not not setting my alarm. These have become like so um, deeply meaningful, um, not directly related to you know the practice of design, and yet in some ways very much related to the kind of. Um, I don't know the way I'd like to move through the world and what I hope like good design experiences are like, you know, um, low stress, um, with a sense of sort of agency for the maybe person at the center. <laughs> um, but, uh, more, maybe more like sort of professionally aligned. I've been doing a lot of reflecting, uh, not in the reflecting. So I know what I'm doing next. Cause I have a, you know, a pretty clear sense of what, what's coming next for me, but more reflecting just for the sake of um, remembering some stuff from the past. <laughs> um, I think I've moved, uh, just been doing so much for so long um, and have always been very forward focused. And uh, you know, just last week I opened up some old directories, you know, in a, um, <laughs> just sitting in, in, you know, in kind of an archive um, not for the purpose of reorganizing them or putting up a portfolio site or anything like that. Really, just to remember some of the work. You know, um, so much has been done, and so many choices and interesting people. And uh, I mean, I had a moment where I was reminded of a designer who worked at 
uh, Etsy on our team, who was maybe only on the team for a year or so before he decided to go back to um, Vietnam, where he was from. Um, but had, I had actually forgotten about working with him and the parts of it that I enjoyed because they're just, I mean, many, many people worked on that team and it was quite sizable by the end. And, you know, many people came and went. And I was, gosh, I was so thankful that I just sort of was able to return to that experience of having worked with that person and, and sort of reflect now with more time about what parts of that, you know, I, I had enjoyed and what value they added and stuff. So I've been trying to take some time to do that uh, with my own work and then also reading, just reading things that have been stacked up um, that I haven't gotten to <laughs> and, uh, all <laughs> well, over the place. Yeah. Since you're in this reflective mode, um, why don't you take us back? Like, how did you get in to the industry? And, and, and give us kind of that snapshot of, of the big changes that got you here. Yeah, sure. The, well, I came to design as I think of it today, which I, I try to cast a very wide net and think of it quite broadly as sort of a very expanded practice, sort of in my own mind. Um, although professionally, I tend to sit at the intersection between you know, fairly large and complex software products. Over the last 10 years, these have really been around two-sided e-commerce marketplaces and brand as it relates to those same like products or services. Um, but I, I came to that really through graphic design and communication design. Um, what sort of set me off on that front, I think was a very sort of um, liberal arts friendly, although it didn't identify itself as that, but sort of upbringing. <laughs> and I was super into music. Um, this is not an uncommon story as I talked to other people. And I really, Oh yeah, got, got to design through essentially like what punk rock and hip hop looked like. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, as a uh, as like a young teenager, um, nice. mostly wanting to make music and consuming a lot of music and music culture, and in hindsight, also to some like sports culture. I was super into basketball and realizing sort of how much brand and graphic design played a role in like professional sports oh, and things yeah. like that. Um, that's where I sort of started to love the what stuff looked like and how it behaved and how it was packaged up and presented in addition to what it, the core of what it was itself. You know, I think I often loved what bands looked like and what they named their record, you know, as much as I loved the band. <laughs> uh, and so I really aspired to sort of how be involved in that. And that's how I got to graphic design. And then from there, um, I think a series of kind of seeds that have probably been planted in my childhood. You know, my dad was a software engineer after being a uh, electrical engineer and there's always computers around. We had the internet fairly early and I tended to be the more technology forward person in the circumstances I was in okay. for many of like, formative years i would say through high school and then in college and some really professional situations which as it started to get more professional um, being technology forward at that time basically meant like you were the internet guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like we've got this client they've got all the stuff and also a web page which was no more sophisticated than brochureware at the time right. um, but was the person most comfortable and capable of doing that work like reasonably quickly of reasonably good quality. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of set me down the path. I think of always kind of having technology and the execution of the, 
at some degree of depth, the software side of the experience, sitting right alongside what even then I thought of as mostly graphic design. We might have called it like the interface or something, but I wasn't thinking about it in a in a user-centric way or in a right. behavioral way. It was mostly making the navigation look better, you know? Um, <laughs> but those things sat alongside What do you mean we can't have a slanted header? <laughs> Where are my beveled edges? I need yeah. this to be feathered. Yeah, I mean, I did those. those. We all did those, yeah. Gosh, <laughs> the, you know, it was probably, I remember one of our, kind of this like pop, pop punk band we had in high school, and this was, what a funny little moment in time, but we made a Winamp skin themed around the band. We had hired this illustrator that had drawn these uh, characters, these kind of like cartoon characters almost, yeah. that we used in album artwork and stuff. And there was this Winamp skin that you could download from our, like, this had been just after GeoCities, you know? I think it was, you know, we were paying for hosting somewhere. Um, and you could download our Winamp skin. Like, what a funny little blip of, of time in the, like, history of the internet. Yeah, it was glorious. I apologize to no one. <laughs> more and more i really do feel that way too um i mean those little artifacts are fun and you know haha you look back at how kind of bad the design was or something but there is there's definitely a spirit of um frontier exploration that oh, yeah. i didn't totally appreciate at the time i mean it was obvious we were doing something new you know and not everyone was participating in it but the um it, it feels different now some things are much easier but some things are also much more complicated. Um, in fact, one thing I've been doing on my downtime is just kind of revisiting my personal site, as we do, for whatever reason, mostly for myself. Um, and I've begun executing it to begin with. I mean, in full content and all kind of functional, but uh, HTML only. Not even styling it, no CSS. Just nice. sitting down in HTML documents with the proper DOM structure and just building the thing out. And it's so interesting how if you create an unstyled HTML document uh, and then open it up in mobile Safari on your phone, Ugh. it's a it's like it's ugly and weird. But the actual reading experience, if you would have like a few paragraphs of text, it's pretty darn good and it's responsive. <laughs> Without having done, <laughs> like the, those line lengths, just expand. If you turn your phone sideways, they're still narrow nice. enough to read comfortably. It's kind of this amazing. Like we've added layers and layers and layers of abstraction to accomplish certain things or you know, scale production, make something faster, do certain behaviors. But the really core elemental building blocks that I got exposed to, you know, not long after I was making some Winamp skin. Um, <laughs> I think it was uh, Jeremy Keith, uh, clear left. He made this comment that, we were losing the digital cave walls that we had scratched our drawings on, right? He was talking about GeoCities going away, things like this, and how th that stuff was important, that it was history. Yeah, some of it was absolutely horrible, but it was us learning. So how do you, how do you go from that to writing product design for the web? I was, I was running a small design studio that at its most had like four employees on payroll or something. And this was, and that was for, eight months or something, you know, so it was very modestly sized, but it was, this was in Brooklyn, New York. And we felt like we was, you know, we had health insurance. Like that was 
felt like we were winning. <laughs> um, wow, that's pretty, a real company. Yeah, yeah. Um, pretty modest sized uh, projects and things, but I would say at least half the projects at, at a certain point we kind of like had our stride were somewhere between small Rails applications ah. and um, fairly advanced customizations of like WordPress themes. Uh, and that somehow lived in the context of other work. We've sort of gone beyond that brochure where to more like, right. like the, there's some operational parts of either your business, your marketing, how you want to represent your content that demands a level of integration between the designed output a customer or audience would see and how you go about delivering that to them. And so there was a lot of kind of creating web apps. And then again, they were, these were small, you know, these weren't big complex, um, applications but they were specialized you know there was uh, we probably did four or five different rails apps that were effectively very specialized portfolio websites for different like architect or author or educator who had a very particular point of view about how they wanted to represent themselves um and so we really built the like idea of how they wanted to like structure their data um, and built that into the idea of how the data was stored in the data database, what kind of meta information was like collected and displayed, you know. Um, and so that that really uh, the, those experiences turned into the sort of not just like build websites, but kind of think about a software product. And then with a client that I had at that design studio, we actually went into business together and formed this two sided e commerce marketplace that was called Supermarket. Uh, and similarly, we were you know, at the time we were three people, and we built this Rails application in the fairly early days of Rails that powered this two-sided marketplace. Um, and that had a lot more complexity to it. We were managing inventory, we were collecting and distributing payments, we had a messaging wow. system. That means we had inboxes, and you, know, you were searching across thousands of products. And, you know, um, there's there's quite a lot more happening, and that's when I really started to develop some methods and practices that later uh, would fit under what I would call product design. Um, And then it was because of that experience and the product we built and sort of the customers we were serving that we caught the attention of um, some people at Etsy. Um, Etsy was also in Brooklyn. um, And I joined Etsy. Actually, I parted ways with the company we'd started very amicably. uh, And uh, my co-founder, Ryan, kept running the supermarket for another couple of years i joined etsy in january 2010 there's about 60 employees okay um, and there's myself and another designer who had joined there had been some designers previously both in-house and you know small agencies and worked on etsy and stuff but uh when we joined there was there were no designers they had cycled out or been part of kind of a previous wave of leadership and so there was some just evolution inside the company um and then I was there for almost eight years, uh, a little over seven and a half years. And product design for the web, in some ways, was capturing the learnings of probably the first two years at Etsy. Um, and what either had worked or we were trying to make work and wanted to kind of put in some kind of um, document. I was going to say Canon. That's far too formal, far too official. <laughs> Um, wanted to put down somewhere and you know, I'd, I'd, I'd put down a lot of things and made the uh, revise them and moved them through conversations and processes internally over those couple of years. And I started to feel like I mm-hmm. had conversations, though, maybe not on like what we were having, not 
that they were on podcast, but visit this company, go to this meetup, do a Q&A with another design team, all asking similar questions about how we were doing or had accomplished things at Etsy. Uh, and I decided it would be good to kind of compile some of those things and put it into a form that would be more shareable um, and be more durable. And that, the output of that is the book, Product Design for the Web. Yeah. And so you, so you go through that process. First of all, writing a book is extremely difficult in my experience. I have not done it. <laughs> I, I, I may have started once without a publisher and I just went, yeah, this isn't going to happen. Um, when you get through the book and you look back, do you find that you're a little bit in, in shock or in awe of the amount that you've learned? Uh, y- yes. <laughs> I think both. What's, what's, I think at a few levels. One what I've learned that was in the book, maybe there's like four levels. What I've learned that was in the book, what I learned by making the book, mm-hmm. um, what I've learned sort of about that as a medium, in a way, you know, less about the the product design part of it, but just the sort of like book e part of it, uh, and and then also uh, now what I've learned since, you know, I I had really. Uh, I had hoped to write something that I felt that would that would be durable. And I don't quite mean like timeless in some like epic sense, but rather that it uh, it didn't focus on specific technologies. It avoided um, any specific kind of contemporary methodologies as much as possible. You know, it doesn't talk about like agile very much, even though it refers to the agile right. manifesto and stuff. Because those things, their meaning changes over time and gets co-opted. And you know, I wanted to feel like it could last. Uh, and I think that many, many, many of the core concepts still hold up. So I feel good about that. I think I still feel like I accomplished that reasonably well. But I think there's a lot more. Like now, I see missing things. Because <laughs> um, it, it was published in 2013. Uh, and I've learned a lot. The product design space has changed a lot. The world has changed a lot. Customers have changed at some level. Uh, and that I, I think there's more in there that deserves to also have a similar treatment, whether by me or someone else. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, especially if you go back to 2013, user experience wasn't really something that was talked about as much. Right. There, there was talk of users, there was talk of research, there was talk of things like that, but you didn't, you didn't look at, you know, trying to create that thoughtful, complete experience. It, yeah, it wasn't but, a thing. It's, it's true. I mean, it, it wasn't nearly as much of a thing. I think it existed and I wouldn't feel, it wouldn't feel complete or authentic to me to kind of Things pre-existed, you know. I think there was the like, yeah. uh, I, I, the the IDXA and that community, you know, the uh, right, wait, right, right. Wait, IIXDA, yeah, the Interaction right. Design Association. That I had, I'd gone to some advanced. So certainly, I knew people who are part of that community, but I never felt personally like I was deeply a part of that community. Uh, and yet, they they were a reasonably sizable community that produced a lot of, you know content for themselves and others and advocated for standards. They're really a bridge to kind of like the web standards community. There's lots of stuff happening there that um, is definitely like mid and late aughts, you know, that sort of predates the, the time we're talking about. And I think that there's, and even like, like Jared Spool and some of the like 
Rosenfeld media and some of the sort of O'Reilly things or the pragmatic programmer, you know, right. uh, even though the, the pragmatic bookshelf, um, there was, they were primarily, you know, all O'Reilly stuff. It all started as software, but they were, ju- they were starting to hint into things that felt more user centric as part of what, uh, what they were putting out into the world or what they were interested in. Um, but it was definitely not, to the place it is today and as broadly um, accepted as today. You know, I think I, I, I remember a time in building the team at Etsy, so this even would have been 2010, speaking to some designers who were, as I saw from a potential standpoint, just very strong overall, like overall designers, very, um, okay. the potential to be multidisciplinary, sort of understood design intuitively at a, at a very like fundamental level. Uh, who were primarily interested in executing graphic design or branding uh, and did not see um, were, were somewhat uh, I don't know if they were skeptical obviously the technology was happening around us but they were just kind of like that other that's stuff's for some other people and I'd love to work with them or how cool that that software stuff is happening by the time I was leaving Etsy, um, so let's call this like mid twenty seventeen or so. Um, okay. I would talk to students, you know, uh, a, a room of students who were in a communication design program, and it would be the anomalous sort of holdout two or three people who are like, "I want to be a graphic designer." Everyone else, <laughs> everyone else is like, "How do I do product design? How do I get a career in product design?" Um, and I think there's a ton of factors that come in there, like they're experiencing those products more and more there there's more material out in the world talking about it from a professional discipline there's the stories of designers getting compensated really well at like tech companies you know there's a bunch of vectors mm-hmm. in there um but that that felt like it happened fairly quickly you know over the course of maybe 36 months or something um which i found really exciting i don't know it just seems super dynamic uh and made me also realize that changes like that probably happened in the past. Yeah. I just, we just tend to view the past as more static. Right. We weren't, we weren't as clued in. Well, I mean, and that's, especially as we look at what's, what's here now and is just progressing in these incredibly complex systems. If you want to talk about, I'm just curious where you're going next, because I think it really plays into this idea of large complex systems. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it certainly does. Yeah. So, um, um, I'm joining a, a company called Grab, which is headquartered in Singapore and works across all of uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, well, really eight, eight countries right now and a couple, couple hundred cities. Um, Burma, Cambodia, Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines, Malaysia, um, Singapore. And they are the largest tech company in Southeast Asia. Um, that's not a multi multinational like Google or, you know, uh, IBM right. or something. Um, and they're only five years old. They started in Malaysia five years ago. So it's just super rapid growth, but they, um, they've become essentially an everyday app. It's, it's not quite right to compare them to WhatsApp or, or I mean, WeChat, sorry, to WeChat, mm-hmm. but it's in that vein. And, and what I mean is your, uh, people are using them daily for, transportation where they started sort of ride hailing but also package delivery meal delivery so i want to get my dinner but also grocery delivery so i'd like my you know food ingredients for the week um 
logistics, moving packages around at various scales from a sort of, you know, commercial kind of document delivery to, you know, quite sizable sort of logistics operations, but then payments, so essentially stored value. You can walk into a you know, coffee shop in Vietnam and pay for Ugh. coffee with grandpa. Uh, and actually just recently have announced uh, more sort of expansive um, integrations, just a much more platform approach. Uh, they partner with the largest healthcare provider in China, which is called Ping An Good Doctor, uh, to essentially book uh, healthcare services through the app. Um, like you're, where do you oh, start? <laughs> where do you start with this? You've got you've got Uber meets Grubhub meets Instacart yeah. meets. Yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the my intuition is to start with the customer. Uh, and I know yeah. it's a it's an easy answer. It's the one a ton of complexity that you've got, right? Um, but what is, one of the reasons that so that is they're, they're such an exciting organization to me is that. Um, Straight to the, their like founders and CEOs, they feel the same way. Um, uh, when I when I spoke with their CEO, one of the one of the things he said to me in our first sort of interview was, um, you know, if this moves forward, um, don't get stuck in the office when you start. He's like, I want you on the ground talking to customers, wow. and don't don't let yourself get stuck in the pattern of uh, the sort of office culture until you've sort of established a habit of being with customers on the ground in those different um, markets. And that just resonated with me really deeply because I don't, I mean, the real answer to your question about where do you start? I don't know, <laughs> but, yeah. but I'm, but I'm sure I have a high degree of confidence that some of the best signals about really where to start um, yeah. are going to be revealed by just spending time with the, the customers. Right? Um, <laughs> it's not going to be in code. It's not, you know, um, but then thankfully, you know, there's a, there's already, you know, there's, there's already a team of researchers who are spending time, not only with customers as many of the employees do, but thinking about ways of extracting insights, documenting insights, helping to prioritize and understand user needs. Um, so we're not going to be starting from zero, <laughs> uh, right. thankfully. Yeah. Well, and um, I can only imagine that you're going to get in there and, there's going to be a huge need to simplify. I mean, especially if it, if it's all kind of grown up together or even if it, if things continue to expand, there's gotta be some level of bringing things into a a way that, that you can reach the entire experience. And it feels like a lot of heavy lifting. I know you're enjoying your time off. I swear. I'm not trying to put a cloud (laughs) on the horizon, but it's just, what a challenge, man. What a challenge. Yeah, it, it it's certainly going to be, and I think one of the things. I mean, I have a I have a predisposition to sort of want to simplify things for a variety of reasons. I think that at a very like intimate kind of personal level, that's just the the kind of experience I want to have in the world uh, feels feels uncomplicated. It doesn't mean that it is not complex <laughs> underneath, but it doesn't. Uh, push that complexity onto me. Oh, wow. uh, and so I think that um, I, I'm predisposed towards that, but I also uh, am trying to remind myself, I'm sure this will be an interesting exercise, uh, to not assume that um, that same predisposition will um, resonate um, in different cultures the same way. Um, there, uh, 
I believe there are some fundamental sort of shared human characteristics and desires, but right. Uh, you know, I was reading, gosh, I wish I could remember the woman's name, but she had done some research, I believe for Uber in China, kind of prior to Uber moving, like pulling out of China. So this must've been okay. like two, two years ago or something that, um, and I, I'll send this to you later or something if you'd like to maybe share it in show notes or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. But she um, produced um, she was a researcher and then maybe worked with a filmmaker and produced this brief film. I mean, five or six minutes. But essentially, around this concept, she developed what she called like sort of good friction or like desired friction. Okay. Uh, and was sort of describing how, uh, in the sort of Uber like experience that like you or I would be used to domestically, you'd book the car cards are up, maybe we're looking at the license plate, we're doing something to verify it's the right one, we get in, and there's not a ton of communication. Now, there might be some chit-chat with the driver, but generally the experience is kind of optimized around, like, you don't have to touch any money, you don't have to say any words, you know, it all just kind of works, right? Um, and that in China, what would happen is the driver would accept the call, or accept the ride, and mm-hmm. then immediately call the person to say, I've accepted the ride, there was this layer of extra behavior on top that at first, from a sort of user experience standpoint, they're like, well, this is redundant and somewhat sort of ridiculous. Like, we, how do we make this unnecessary, design this out of the experience? And it turns out that as a sort of, and I don't know the roots of this, so I can't speak at a high, high level of confidence, but at some kind of cultural behavioral level, uh, okay. that was desired and everyone accepted it. It was right. not seen as a problem. No one was thinking, oh, if only we could make this phone call go away. Neither the person calling nor the recipient. They viewed it generally positive. Um, and I find that so fascinating. Because if I make, I don't know, if I make a restaurant reservation and then someone calls to confirm it two hours before, I'm always like, oh, like now I've got to like return a phone call so I don't lose my reservation. It's so annoying. I'm like, I don't want to do it twice. I already did it. Right? Um, I told you I was going to be there. Yeah. And so to me, it's such a <laughs> fascinating um just such a fascinating um, difference, and uh, and it's not like uh, it doesn't stop at oh that's different. Yeah. It actually stops at the um, perception of value and the desired experience um, is different. And so I love to think about the these sort of holistic experiences. Their end state being um, more about like an emotional resonance, right? Uh, and so in some ways trying to abstract this now as I'm thinking about it is sort of what's the level of contentment or satisfaction or certainty or joy I feel when I have these things that feel simple, you know, uh, what does it take to create a similar kind of emotional satisfaction for a different customer in a different place with a different background and a different service. Yeah. Uh, And so it may or may not, look or feel like what I believe simple is now. <laughs> but I think the intention is to get to that same kind of level of um, satisfaction or joy or what, what whatever might be appropriate, you know, kind of in that circumstance. Yeah. Well, I, I think it leads straight to a, a saying I heard in the, in the mid nineties, which was attributed to Steve jobs, but I can never find anywhere that he said this, but simple is hard. And hard is stupid. <laughs> so it's it's this idea that you have to work so hard to make something simple, right? And it sounds mm-hmm. like you are on that path. I, 
I'll tell you, Randy, I'm really excited for you. It sounds like you're heading into the promised land for somebody who's trying to create that just simple, thoughtful experience. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the enthusiasm too. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, really excited and so kind of um, in awe in a way of the um, just how much feels unknown. <laughs> uh, it makes me reflect back to other experiences too, and you know, I tried to operate for a long time with that open mind, you know, of sort of not assuming yeah. the answers, and this just really puts it into even more extreme focus and makes me think, gosh, how much more open-minded could I have been, you know, three years ago? Uh, no, you know. Uh, um, so yeah, excited to have sort of have those have those experiences. Well, I'm sure, there'll be a million. You're also going to be going. You're also going to be going through your own cultural changes, right? You're going to be moving to Singapore yep. and experiencing that. You know, what would be great is maybe six months or a year from now, get you back on the show and, uh, and talk about how it's going. Would that be oh, good? I would love that. What an interesting idea. Yeah. Thank you for, for thinking of that. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah, that kind of I, a little before after. What's the change that stand, look like? <laughs> I can't stand for the story to end here. That's no yeah. good. I got to know <laughs> what happens next. Well, thank you so much for being on the Bureau Briefing today. I really appreciate it, Randy. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyable. Got it. And for everybody listening, so glad you made it. And we'll talk to you again soon. All the best. <laughs>